You may have seen the commercial in print, on the internet, most likely on the TV, for two companies, Ancestry.com and 23andMe. Both companies are tapping into the market of people who want to understand who they are. They want to know more about their identity. People are trying to understand what might be unique about them, and there's this hope that if they send in their DNA and then they get a response that they might actually find other family that they're excited about, or they may find that an office worker is in fact a second cousin. Both true stories. My favorite story is the guy who all his life thought he was German because his last name was such, and he was doing celebrate everything German, and he loved wearing his Lederhosen. That's a whole nother story, I'm sure. But So he sends in his DNA, and it comes back, and lo and behold, he's not German. He's Scottish. So he traded in the Lederhosen for a kilt, and now he celebrates everything that is Scottish. Mike and I thought about doing it just for fun, but then we say, but we know who we are. I say, I, I know I'm Southern, which Mike will then point out that that's not really one of the things that would come back. <laughs> and then Mike comes back. Mike, th though he doesn't look like it, Mike is 50% Spanish. His mother was Spanish through and through, born in Spain, the whole family. I would go to family events and had no idea what they were saying because they were all speaking in Spanish. But then we, we really did have a conversation about this. We do know who we are that we are those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And we are now walking in newness of life with him today and for all eternity. Now, knowing the results of my DNA may be fun. We still may do it. But it really would not impact the most important thing about me. For the past three weeks, we've looked at the letter of Paul, the one that he wrote to the church gathered together in Ephesus. They were new believers who were discovering that the new life that they had entered into, and if anyone was a new, new in Christ, they were. They were Jewish believers and Gentile believers together trying to understand that not only did they have a new vertical relationship with God, but they had a new horizontal one with a new relationship with each other. They were being changed from the inside out, and they needed to understand the implications of their new spiritual DNA so they could live it. It is easy to be amazed, and I hope that you've spent some time reading the letter to the Ephesians, the scope of what Paul is saying. We just basically scratched the surface on this beautiful letter. The words are amazing. You've heard about the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, how we have been adopted as his children, that we have been made alive together in Christ by his great mercy, and now Christ is dwelling in our hearts by faith, filling us with immeasurable love. And to look at this distant church and see how incredible those words were that Paul wrote to them at that time, it would be easy to say that that was for them. But we know that the word of God is alive and active and it moves through the centuries and the words that Paul wrote, and you know he's going to say that. He's writing them from prison. Not only did he write it for those churches in Ephesus, but wrote churches through the centuries so that those words are for us here at Stanwich Church on Taconic Road this day. It's not just that that was them. This is us. This is who we are. We share, think about it, we share the same spiritual DNA with the believers in Ephesus and have been called into an entirely new family. And so it's to this family that Paul now issues and extends an important call. There is so much that will be left on the table this morning from this passage. 
we could get maybe four or five, we said that, four or five, six, seven sermons out of those 16 verses. But we're going to focus on the two passions that Paul wants to pass on that really will guide you as you read the last three chapters of this letter. It's these two things, walking worthy and living in unity. You're going to find it helpful if you open up the Bibles, either your own or the one in front of you, to Ephesians 4, because we're going to look at the first six verses together. Paul gives us a word, looking right in verse 1, he gives us a word that grabs our attention for us to listen to. He says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Therefore. And he uses that word because of all the magnificent things that he's saying that I've already told you about God and what he has done. I'm telling you now what it means. What is walkable about what you have just heard. Paul is saying you are now children of God. So live like children of God. Live in a manner that is obvious. Paul is urging, he's pleading, he's cheering us to live in a way that is worthy of all that God has done, to honor it. When he uses the word worthy, Paul is choosing to add weight and a sense of greatness to his charge. He means it. He wants us to pay attention to it. When I had reached that age in high school where I would be out in a car with my friends, my mother stopped me the very first night I was going out the door with these words. Jackie Ann, remember one thing. You represent the family. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. But those words got my attention. I want to assure you I was not going out intending to do anything crazy. However, it got my attention. Those words told me that my actions mattered. My words mattered. My behavior outside mattered. Remember who you are. You are not out there simply on your own. You belong to this family. And, and she would repeat those words regularly when I was going out. They impacted me. Reminded me that, that my life was not just about me. Whatever I did affected my family as well. And so here we are with Paul. Paul wants us to know that Christ is now our elder brother, and together we are brothers and sisters surrounding us. Now walk in a way that reflects your new life. Don't do anything to let anybody think you have not begun a new life. It's not going to be enough to put a bumper sticker on your car or a favorite verse printed out by your, by your desk or to oppose or to support something. That's not the issue. The issue is that through your words and your life, it must be apparent that you no longer walk in the way that you once did. No longer do you fill your mind, your time, your days with the things that you did in the past. You have been made radically different. Make it obvious to others that you belong to Christ. So how do we do this? Our old life would say that to walk worthy, we would do so. We'd walk worthy of our education, of the opportunities and experiences that we've had. And we would showcase that by, with our competence and our confidence or with our pride and our performance. But Paul says, no, I mean something much different. Beginning in verse 2, look with me. He gives us the essential ingredients that are seen and experienced and that reflect a new way of living. 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And each one of those characteristics Paul is using to point us to Jesus. You see, Paul had written to the Romans that we are to be conformed to the image of Jesus, to be transformed into his likeness. And here he tells us how it's going to show up among us and how others will recognize it. All humility, right out, the, right out of the gate. Humility was not a virtue in first century Ephesus. Rather, it was a sign of weakness. It was the complete opposite of humility that was what was valued. Not much has changed today, has it? Walking with humility means that we are unimpressed with ourselves. We do not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Or do we, we no longer act superior to others because we have more resources or intelligence or looks or friends on Instagram or whatever. Humility means that we are not pushing ourselves forward or insisting on having our own way. And you and I know that we are pulled towards that other direction all the time, aren't we? But Paul tells us that even more with the words right, right before humility, a word that should catch us. Ooh, it frustrates me. He says, walk worthy in all humility. Don't you wish it said some humility or little humility? It doesn't. It says all humility. And we know deep down that the only way that that can be done is by the grace of God and in his goodness where he tempers our self-assertiveness and our natural leaning towards that other way. Our pride does not happen in a vacuum. You express your pride so that others will see it. It's pride that is found behind any and all broken relationships, whether it's in your marriage, your friendships, your relationships with your co-workers, or dare I say, even in your Bible study group. Walk differently. Walk with humility. And do it with gentleness. And just like humility, gentleness was not highly valued at that time either. But Paul says we must learn to be gentle with one another because it is the way of your new life. Paul, I think Paul shows us great wisdom by putting humility and gentleness together because how can you have one without the other? And again, Paul is giving us a picture that to walk worthy means to walk as Jesus did. Remember when Jesus was speaking to the crowds and he said, I am gentle and humble in heart. You and I can't say that about ourselves, but Jesus can. Because he does it completely and he does it perfectly. The gentleness we see in Jesus is not spineless or meek at all. It's transforming for those who experience it in us. Bartimaeus, who was given his sight, the woman at the well, the mother who was given her son back from the dead, they all would have recognized not only what Jesus did for them, but how he did it with them. With patience. The word actually means, I love this, the word actually means long-souled, being able to take the long view of things, to recognize that aggravating people need to be responded to in the same way, exactly the same way that God has responded to you and me, because we are aggravating people. Jesus showed long-souled patience, 
over and over and over with his disciples. When they were argumentative, when they were pushing themselves forward, when they wanted the special seats, Jesus responded with great patience because he knew, he knew that the disciples were still under construction, just as we are. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. Putting up with something or someone who is annoying. Suggesting that we continue, even in the face of difficult circumstances and difficult people, to show patience and to bear with someone in love. What is more important to us, to be seen in the right or to act towards somebody and do the right thing. Paul's not talking about a half-hearted tolerance here. He's talking about love, real love that believes all things, bears all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And with all of this, look at verse 3, we're to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Be honest. That's pushing it, isn't it? That feels like a little too much. How am I supposed to walk in this new way and a new life and eagerly maintain unity with my brothers and sisters in the church all at the same time? There are not enough hours in the day to do that. It's way too much. But look again. We don't create unity. We maintain it, meaning we cultivate it. It may need weeding, pruning at times, but the unity remains because it's already there. We get to discover it, to enjoy it, to marvel at it. How far, wide, deep, and long is the church in its unity? We live as one together because we are one. Why was the unity among believers so important for Paul? Because Paul knew that the church is God's way to bring about his purpose of everything united together in Jesus Christ on heaven and on earth. How could he even imagine such unity? Paul knew unity in the church comes right from the unity that has existed for all time, the unity that's found in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, existing complete beauty, complete love, complete harmony with one another. Look at verse 4 with me through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Seven times right in that verse, Paul uses the word one. He's trying to make a point. He says that unity among the church universal and Stanwich Church right now looks like one body. We are a single family with Christ as the head unifying us together for one purpose. One spirit. We have the Holy Spirit as our source of power and reflective of God's presence. One hope. We look forward to the same future, one Lord. We trust the same person, Jesus Christ, to be in charge of our, each of our lives, one faith. We trust Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection from the dead for our salvation, one baptism. We have a single identity together. We are baptized into him. 
and we have one God and Father of all. We share together the same source of our existence, and our lives are completely found in him and in him alone. What makes it possible for us to live in this type of unity is always going to be an inside job, not an outside structure that makes it happen. We find it when, we submit, when we're submitting and trusting ourselves that the Holy Spirit is transforming me, the Holy Spirit is transforming you to become more and more like Jesus as together we walk worthy of the call with no exceptions. We get discouraged when we hear the latest misstep in a church or by one of its leaders, don't we? Or when the churches be, are being misrepresented or doing things that bring judgment that may actually be deserved. But here is what we need to remember. Our unity in the church is eternal and unbreakable because it flows out of who is eternal and unbreakable even with the differences of opinions missteps on occasions poor choices at times paul is declaring that because of the oneness of god and his immeasurable generosity that fills us to overflowing it is no more possible to split the church than it is to split the father the son and the Holy Spirit. Today in the second service, we will receive some new members. It's always an exciting time, and I, I always get the bird's eye view. I get the conversations with people to know what journey has taken place to bring them here to this moment. And so that will not nearly be reflected in what we do. But let me assure you that it is amazing how God is moving among us and bringing us together for his purpose. It's always an incredible story. And here's the other thing to know. It is always earth-shattering and everything shifts when one of us stands and declares our commitment to Christ and his church. I also know that in a church this size, there are those of you who have, experienced, who have had experiences in churches that cause you to come to worship as you were so drawn to do, but also those experiences that keep you from entering in this way. Let me assure you that the same grace that reconciles you and me as individuals to God brings us into relationships with others who are also in Christ. Sometimes that can get frustrating. Sometimes that can get messy. And other times it gets energizing and so encouraging as together we move forward walking worthy of the call. I guarantee you, that when you move in this way, horizontally, connecting with one another, you will experience the immeasurable, far-reaching love of God more and more. And you will recognize the riches of his gifts that are in your life and in the life of this church. God is working to put us all together in a new heaven and a new earth. And when that day comes... You are not going to be able to live on your own parcel as much as you may want to. We're going to be living together for eternity. And so in, God implores us to start learning to do that now. Jesus knows well how hard it is for us to walk in a manner worthy of all that he has done and to live in unity with one another. That's why on the last night that he was with his disciples before his trial and crucifixion, Jesus prayed with great tenderness and with great generosity for them 
and for us these words. Holy Father, keep them in our name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Church, Jesus has prayed for us. So be it. Thanks be to God.